This episode is part of the pool's Local Officials Stronger Together podcast series. It's one way we serve local officials through integrity, public service, fiscal responsibility, and operational excellence. As always, please direct specific questions about coverage to your member services manager. Welcome to the re-recording of Episode 2A in the Risk Pool Stronger Together podcast series. Today's episode is Local Governments and Firearms Avoiding a Jam. As always, I'm going to give you some basic information, visit with people who are interested in the subject, in this case, the Legislative Director of the Texas State Rifle Association, and then give you several action items to help you get everything you can from our partnership. Each time we do one of these, we'll have detailed links or written information to go along with your action items that you'll get at the end. Please note that the information discussed in this episode is not effective until September 1, 2021, and I'll talk about why and why we are revisiting this episode shortly. In this episode, I'll tell you where on Texas local government property a Texan can carry a gun. When we first came up with the idea to do these podcasts, I knew the first episodes had to be about guns. Texans love guns, and I love guns. But there's always confusion about where on your property someone can carry one. The original firearms episodes dealt with those Texans who have a license to carry. That's because until the governor signed HB 1927 last month, A license holder was the only one who could carry a handgun in public. House Bill 1927 changed all that. The bill, which many people call constitutional or permitless carry, is known formally as the Firearm Carry Act of 2021. It authorizes most Texans over 21 years of age and who haven't been convicted of certain state or federal crimes to carry a handgun in a concealed manner or openly in a holster without the requirement to first obtain a handgun license. Always remember, much more detail on this stuff is listed in the paper that accompanies this podcast. There's also a cheat sheet with just the basics. Interestingly, HB 1927 does not repeal licensed carry. Why would they leave that bureaucracy in place? Well, there's at least two reasons. First is reciprocity. Several other states still require a license to carry, and a Texan must have a Texas-issued license to carry in their state and take advantage of that reciprocity. And the second thing is the ease of purchasing a firearm. License holders get to skip the subsequent background checks. The decision to leave licensed carry in place may turn out to be beneficial to employers who want to allow employees to carry, but only if they've completed the requirements for a license. I'll talk about that and more in relation to employee carry in the new version of Episode 2B. First, though, let's visit with Andy Turner. Andy is the legislative director for the Texas State Rifle Association, which of course strongly supported the new legislation. Andy, tell me why your organization feels this legislation is important. So what's happened over time is they took all the rights away for carry from all Texans, right? Right after reconstruction, they took all the rights away. And slowly the governors and the the government's been giving them back. No, 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 no. This isn't a right. This is a right restored. Like, it should never have been taken away in the first place. Now, I am, before anybody goes off, I'm not talking about felons. I'm not talking about, you know, people of no business having a firearm. I'm talking about law-abiding Texans. Do you think the bill goes far enough? 
There was nothing in the amendments that I couldn't live with. There's things that I would have liked to have seen tweaked, but I think it's a good bill. I mean, Matt Schaefer did a heck of a job, and Representative Schaefer and Senator Schwartner, I believe, in the, in the Senate. I think they did a bang-up job. I, I think this bill provides enough protections that, well, we'll just call them stupid people. Felons and people who have committed disorderly conduct with guns, disorderly conduct with violence, you know, I'm okay with them taking a five-year breather. Because if you served your sentence and you stand a total of five years, I don't have a problem with you getting your rights back. How does your organization feel about the concerns that some in law enforcement have about the bill? You know, I can see where law enforcement, I'm a big supporter of law enforcement, but I, I can see where law enforcement will be concerned about somebody who was actually convicted of disorderly conduct with a gun. I can see why they'd be concerned about that. So it was a compromise. Public policy is a series of compromises. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day, there is no perfect, 100% perfect legislator, right? The only time that you're going to 100% of the time agree with a legislator is, is if it's you. I'll tell you, it's refreshing to hear you say that. Some people in politics no longer agree that policymaking is about compromise. My girlfriend says, we were talking about specifically this bill while it was working its way through the cycle. And I was saying, I'll take nine-tenths of the pie. I'm good with that. I really like pie. So we call this the pie theory between she and I. And she read the bill and she's like, honey, I think you're getting the whole pie, just not the crust along the edges. And I'm like, right? Thanks for joining us, Andy. While stakeholders may have different ideas about what any type of legislation should look like, once it passes and gets signed by the governor, that's all behind us. After that, we just want to be sure that everyone, local officials, law enforcement, and authorized carriers are all on the same page about where they can and can't go with a handgun. Okay, let's jump into where an authorized person can carry on local government property. If you understood where on your property a license holder can go with a handgun, you should be in good shape. The only significant difference is in relation to an open meeting. An unlicensed carrier who's otherwise authorized to carry can't ever go into a local government meeting with a gun, period. Other than that, an authorized carrier can go in just about any place that members of the public otherwise have access. In other words, they can go into a public library, onto a city park, and into the lobby of a police station with a handgun. So if I'm a citizen and I go on local government property, what are the three key places I should be aware of? Number one, I can't carry into the building where a polling place is located during voting, and no sign has to be posted to tell me that. Number two, the most tricky one. I can't carry into a courtroom or office used by the court, and again, no sign has to be posted to tell me that. But what about the rest of that building that houses a court or court offices? Since at least 2005, if not before, most attorneys agree that the entire building housing a court was off limits. When licensed open carry and now constitutional carry passed, it didn't change that part of the law in any way. In addition to visiting with Andy, I'm going to play you a short clip of Susanna Hupp. Ms. Hupp was a state legislator who made the last statutory change to the courtroom language in 2005. She clearly explained to a legislative committee that the whole building should be off limits. 
Secondly, there was a concern over the courts and whether or not they would be fully exempted. It was not my intention under HB 878 to affect any of the prohibited places in the original uh, concealed carry bill. But the Senate companion, again, uh, have added premises of the court, which basically prohibits license holders from carrying in any building in which there's a courtroom. I've agreed to keep those two... Even though it's very clear, the Attorney General issued an opinion to the contrary. He says it's only the actual room that houses the court or the court office. And he has also sued Waller County and the city of Austin over the issue. Both of those cases are at the appeals court level right now. So right now, we just can't be sure where to carry in relationship to a courtroom. My opinion is that the best thing to do is be sure an authorized carrier knows that the building houses a court by posting signage to make that clear and by posting signage on the courtroom and any court offices inside the building. That at least gives notice to the license holder and allows them to decide what to do. Now, there's also another kicker. The judge of a court can authorize anyone to carry in writing, not the governing body, the judge. A judge could, I suppose, issue blanket authorization or issue it to just certain people. And finally, number three, there's really only one place where a local governing body has a choice and then only relating to license holders. That's in the meeting room where a body subject to the Open Meetings Act is taking place and only during the meeting. Remember that an authorized but unlicensed carrier can never carry into your meetings. With regard to license holders, if a governing body does nothing, a license holder can carry into the meeting. If the governing body chooses to prohibit concealed carry, open carry, or both, you have to post a sign that looks a certain way with certain language. Call the 30-06 sign to prohibit concealed carry, Clever, right? That's the section of the penal code that authorizes that sign. And 30.07 is a sign that can prohibit open carry. And either of those signs should be put up only when the meeting is taking place and only at the door to the meeting room. Now, to make it even trickier, this one could also interplay with the court prohibition as well, depending on where in the building your clerk or judge offices or holds court. Always keep in mind that different rules apply to the secure area of a law enforcement facility, public school buildings, school activities, college campuses, and that law enforcement prosecutors and judges have exceptions that allow them to carry mostly anywhere. Let's conclude as usual with your action items, which are really the same as in the first recording of this episode. Action item one, state law allows the attorney general to sue you to collect a $1,000 per day penalty if you try to prohibit carry in a place that state law allows, either by a sign or just telling the person incorrectly. That type of penalty typically isn't covered by your liability policy, so your action item is to take a look to see if your signs are in the right place and take them down if not. Remember, the only place a 30-06 or 30-07 sign should be posted is if the governing body has decided to prohibit carry in a meeting room and then only at the door to the room while the meeting is going on. You shouldn't have one of those signs anywhere else on your property. The new constitutional carry legislation authorizes private persons and private businesses to post a new type of sign to prohibit unlicensed carry on their property. But local governments can't use that, so you should never have that type of sign on your property. Action item two, if you have a court, discuss with your city attorney the information in the paper that accompanies this podcast. Decide how you want to treat the building, courtroom, and court offices, and let employees know that position.
Action item three, inform your employees about the law and what action to take if they see someone carrying a handgun. If that person with the gun is allowed to be where they are, the usual answer is no action. However, you should always explain to employees that anytime they see something that makes them feel uncomfortable, whether it has to do with a gun or not, they should report that. And in almost every case, that reporting should be to law enforcement to come resolve the issue. Okay, that's it for this episode. I did want to mention one little factoid from the new legislation. The authors decided to decriminalize possessing or shooting a firearm on your own private property if you're drunk. Is that a good idea? Here's what Andy said about that. First of all, you shouldn't be drinking and carrying anyway. <laughs> I mean, they're going to throw the book at you if you take one step off your property and do something stupid. I'll let you be the judge. In part two, we'll discuss the legal consequences of allowing employees who are authorized to carry to do that at work. It's a very serious decision that involves the risk of injury or death and likely a federal or state lawsuit against your local government if an employee uses a gun while on the job. To review written materials associated with the presentation or to ask Scott a question, please visit www.tmlirp.org and click on the Stronger Together podcast link. Please remember that the information in this episode is provided for informational purposes only and doesn't constitute legal advice. We recommend that you review the podcast and the accompanying written materials with your attorney prior to taking action.